are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. My microphone. There we go. <laughs> well, hey, good morning again. Good to see you guys this morning. I'm glad you are here. If you're watching from home, I want to officially welcome you guys and thank you. We have a lot of home watchers lately, which is okay. And uh, we want to encourage you, if you're watching from home, to participate by uh, just kind of using the chat on the side. Give us some comments and thoughts. Let us know how you're doing. And we're going to involve you a little bit more as the uh, season goes on. Um, also want to thank all of our decorators for Christmas. Doesn't it look nice in here? And out in, the, out in the cafe, we appreciate you guys. Special thanks to Mary who kind of oversaw and all this and made us work hard and cut our fingers on saws and breathe dust and paint. And, and uh, I think Blake and Matt were involved. And I think uh, out in the cafe getting that going, Doug and Jandria and Mark and Amy, thank you guys for all that you did. And Russ for making our extra cool, what do you call that, a Christmas skirt? Tree skirt. Tree skirt. Tree skirt, there you go. So we are starting uh, our season off together by doing a series called Prophets and Angels, the Voices of Christmas. I thought that'd be kind of a fun way to look at it. You know, I think, I won't say we get numb to talking about Jesus at Christmas, but we've, we do it so often. Every year this comes up, and it can be hard to look at things with fresh eyes because we just get... We just get um, we're so familiar with the story of Jesus coming. And we relegate it just to Christmas time sometimes, which probably isn't good. So, so we're going to look at the leading voices of the Christmas account, which really was prophets and angels. There are angels. You know, you don't see angels at work in the Bible too often. And all of a sudden, this is this concentrated spot. You can see all these angels starting to show up and, and, and do some things. So we're going to take the next four weeks to hear what they had to tell us and what it means for us today. We're going to look at like four announcements or proclamations that some prophets and angels made about the birth and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, traditionally, this time of year in the church is referred to as Advent. You guys familiar with that? The Advent season. Advent simply means coming. Uh, Prusia in Greek, it, Advent comes from the Latin, and it just means coming, and it's a season observed in, in many churches around the world. And the, the gist of Advent, I think next year we're probably going to do a traditional full-on Advent celebration and kind of join in this thing. But this year I wanted to allude to it and talk about it real quick. But Advent means coming, and it's really looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus the second time, his second coming, by looking back at his first coming. So we're looking ahead uh, while we look back. And really, the Christmas season should be a reminder for us to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We should be looking forward to what we wait for and expect for, just like people were looking forward to the first coming, we're looking forward to the second coming. And uh, so we're going to look back. There's a lot of history of God's interaction with people. That gets me excited in the Bible when I see God stepping forward to interact with people, because that's who he is, you know, 
People say that God is aloof and he's far away. He doesn't want to come and interact. But he comes and interacts all throughout history with his people. And today he does that. So we're going to look back at that. We're going to look forward to his coming. Um, The message of angels and prophets concerning Advent was not just about the first coming, but it encompasses both. And it it goes through history. You know, we're going to look at prophecy today as we look at a prophet. And you've heard me say about prophecy, prophecy is like looking up at a mountain. From our vantage point, you look up and you see a mountain, and and you see the one mountain, and these guys prophesied about the mountain that they saw, but behind the mountain was a second mountain they couldn't see. So really, prophecy, it expands. It's about the time when the prophecy was given. It can be about a later time. It can even be about a third time. And, and much of the prophecy these prophets in the Old Testament gave, there were actually three periods or more when things were taking place. So we're going to look back and we're going to look forward at the same time. Now, what is prophecy? Let's talk about this. We're going to talk about prophets. We'll talk more about angels in the coming weeks. Uh, but prophecy is a proclamation of God's word to people. It's just proclaiming what God says to the people around you. It can involve telling about the future. You know, we get that in, in that. Some people think prophecy is all about telling the future, but that's, it's part of it. But it's really some just giving of some much-needed truth. You know, that would be Mary in my family. Mary gives us some much-needed truth in our family sometimes. You got somebody like that in your family? They're going to give you the truth. You're going to hear what's going on, you know. Mary is the prophet of our family. And uh, that's what prophecy is. It's given some much-needed truth that we need. I need some of that sometimes. Like, you know, I don't always get it. A little dull sometimes. But in the Old Testament, it was also often a mixture of the two. But prophecy expresses God's heart for his people. Expresses God's heart. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God used all kinds of guys to proclaim his word and call people back to him. And it was a tough job. You know, that would, you know they do the, in high school, they do you know, jobs you might want to have you know, and work towards. Old Testament prophet would not be high on my list. You know, not, not something I would aspire to. It usually involves showing up in key moments in history and proclaiming what nobody wanted to hear. You're always very popular, you know, that if people don't turn around and, and turn to the Lord, God is going to bring some judgment. Now, we think of prophets as these crusty old guys walking around in camel skin vests, you know, big beards, kind of antisocial, a little bit angry, you know, with a raspy voice, and uh, with a staff in their hand shouting, repent. That's what we think about. But really, these were real people with real jobs. Uh, There were priests. Some of the prophets were government officials. Uh, Some were shepherds, writers. There were even some cattle breeders who were prophets. I mean, there were young people and old people. And what they did was they just showed up and they just said what God told them to say. Now, I don't know if you have a favorite prophet or not. You know, if you read about the, 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 the prophets in the Old Testament, you got some, a favorite one. But one of mine is this, this is the popular choice, a guy named Isaiah who prophesied in Judah around six or 700 years before Jesus came. I like Isaiah because he had this big encounter with the Lord where he just went into God's throne room 
and just had this picture, and he said, whoa, I'm in big trouble, <laughs> you know, because he saw this whole scene of what was going on, and that was his calling at a, at a young age. When he gave his message, it was really the same time in history that the Roman Empire was founded. It was the same time as probably the first Greek Olympic Games. It was the same time as powers in Asia, kind of in the East, began to stir and get ready for some global conquests. All this is kind of happening at the same time. But Isaiah was in a place called Israel, or Judah specifically, and he was giving a word to the people because it was a crucial time in Israel's history. You know, something I hear tossed around now in, in the U.S., this is a crucial time in our history. You kind of hear those kind of things. Well, this was a crucial time in their history. On the outside, they looked like they were really following Jesus. Well, I guess not Jesus specifically, but following the law and following God, following Yahweh. But on, behind the scenes, they were worshiping demons. They were burning their children in the fire, sacrificing to these, all these foreign gods and things. They were looking good on Sunday, but the rest of the week they were living like the devil. You know, they were just, they were very superficial. The rich were oppressing the poor, and their leaders were alcoholics, drinking all the time. When they really needed good leadership, they weren't getting it. So, and they were basically telling God, God, we want nothing to do with you. We're going to lead our own country. We're going to lead our own life. You just stay on the sidelines. Or, or God, you feel free to give me a little advice here and there, but we got this, and we'll call you if we need you. <laughs> and there were brief periods of revival in Isaiah's ministry, but, but generally the people were trending away from God, and they were really at a crossroads. I mean, they needed to make some, some good decisions as a nation, so God raised up Isaiah to declare that God wanted to see some changes that needed to be made. Now, I believe that prophecy at its essence is encouragement. Do you believe that? That it's meant, there's always encouragement in it. It's not, it's not, it's not designed, the end design is not to make people feel bad or to, to uh, make them feel guilty, but the, the end design is encouragement that, that good times are ahead if you trust God. You know, we all need that. If you trust God, there are good things ahead, you know, So, uh, because prophets, they point out the problem, but they also point out the hope that awaits if people turn back to him. And what God was saying through Isaiah was, people, you might not want anything to do with me right now, but I want everything to do with you. God's saying, we are in covenant together, so I'm going to wake you up. You might not like it, but when you come to your senses, you're going to thank me later. (laughs) That was kind of the message through Isaiah. That's the father's storyline through the whole book. Now, also, it was a time of military crisis. Anybody know the, the military country or power that was coming against the Israelites at that time? It was the uh, Assyrians. And this was the world, the world power. These guys were dominant. They were just wiping out nation after nation. These are the guys that really invented crucifixion. And they would go in and kill people and crucify people. And they would leave us a pile, a pyramid of skulls of people at the city gate of the cities they conquered. Kind of their calling card. The Assyrians were here. So these guys were brutal, and they were on their way 
to Israel, and they were coming to destroy them. So here's Israel in crisis, and Isaiah is giving them these prophetic messages uh, to deal with their current crisis, but also the distant future and the coming of the Messiah. So let's read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Why don't we stand in honor of God's word? I think we've got three or four screens. Let's do it the old-fashioned way that we used to do it. If someone wants to read a, a screen, then someone else can read another one, and we'll kind of work through this. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Somebody kick us off. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon. But later on he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation, you will increase their joy, they will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest, as people rejoice when, when they divide the spoils. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the marching warrior in the roar of battle, a cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it. And to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, does any of this sound familiar? We've, we've heard some of this before. You know, for unto us a child is born. Um, Isaiah, back 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus, was pointing towards the coming of the Lord Jesus. He was, he was pointing people that way. It was, he, the, the Messiah was the hope of Israel. It's what every Israelite was waiting for. It was a longing of their hearts. You know, so Father God gives them this message to raise their confidence, their, uh, confidence and their expectancy. And that's what hope is. Hope is a, a confident expectancy that something good is going to happen. You know, when you have hope, confidence raises up in you, and it affects your behavior. Now, when I was younger, I had a confident expectancy for presents under the tree on Christmas morning. Anybody got that confident expectancy? I just knew they were going to be there. I never doubted. And uh, it affected my behavior, because the night before Christmas, I couldn't sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the presents to come. I'm, I'm going in the, in the room and peeking often. How many guys, look, this is having an honesty moment, how many guys have ever torn off the corner of a present to peek inside to see one of your presents? You know, anybody, I see about five or six hands, I see pointing at other people, you know, so 
we do that. It's a confident expectancy that there's something good in there. If it was something bad, you wouldn't want to peek. But you have a confident expectancy that it's something good and it affects your behavior. When you don't have hope, you don't have confidence. And when you don't have confidence, you don't have the energy to wait for good things to happen. And when you don't have that, you run out of gas. You run out of fuel. Now, I think a lot of people right now are experiencing a lack of confidence. You know, the disappointments of this year have zapped our strength and our energy. Some people are a little depressed. People are down. You know, maybe you caught yourself saying, I just don't have any energy today. You know, we're just kind of, we're kind of zapped a little bit. Uh, because I think we can be low on hope. Now, let me ask you a question. What are you hoping for right now? I think of this speaking to you. If you're online, let me ask you that too. What are you hoping f- for right now? Matt, you can put that in the chat for everybody. I'd like to see you guys answer if you're not here today. Um, as we come to the end of this crazy year, what are you hoping for? You know, hope is something that we can lose our grip on if we're not careful. You know, how many of us have stopped hoping because we've been disappointed because we didn't get what we wanted? You know, you know how many of you guys have ever had that one present under the, that you hope is under the tree and it's the one thing you want and it's not there and you don't get it and it's just a little deflating, you know? On a bigger level, how many of you have you hoped for that job? Or you've hoped for that relationship to go to the next level. Or you've hoped for this or that, and it just didn't happen. It just kind of left you empty and a little deflated. You know, something we had hoped for never showed up. There's kind of a word for that if we're not careful. It's, It's cynic. You know, do you find yourself getting a little more cynical right now? Do you find yourself getting a little more negative right now? You know, your, your ideas could go either way, but you gra- you're gravitating towards the negative. You just kind of, you know, you just see that, you just kind of gripe a little bit. Well, that's how they always are, you know? And if we're not careful, we're, we're becoming a little bit negative because we have a hope crisis. You know, we're, we're losing our grip a little bit on hope. You know, I don't know about you, I was hoping for a lot of things this year with, uh, had a lot of expectations for 2020, you know, and then COVID showed up and uh, blew up a lot of our plans. You know, we were going to have a regional vineyard conference in Iowa, I mean, I was excited. I just saw a big group of us going up there and getting, getting baptized into the vineyard a little bit and experiencing some things. I was so excited, eh, got canceled. We dropped our Wednesday night community because we were just trying to lay low and drop some gatherings. That was disappointing. Uh, couldn't meet for worship for six or seven weeks. That was kind of a bummer. We really lost a lot of momentum that we were riding then. Um, our Thanksgiving plans got blown up because of COVID. And our Christmas is getting delayed a week because of COVID. There's just all kinds of things going on. But it's been a little disappointing. Now, I know a lot of you, I know your story, so I know that a lot of you were hoping for things this year, and you experienced some disappointment. Weddings couldn't happen or got delayed. Funerals couldn't happen, got delayed. Some of you lost your jobs. Um, school went online or got canceled. When I'm a social guy, I want to be around people. Just put me in a room, make me stay in a room by myself all day. I can deal with it for a day, but if it goes very long, I'm going to be in trouble. 
You know, I'm going to start talking to myself, <laughs> which I do sometimes. Trips you wanted to take were canceled. Uh, maybe you're supposed to, some of you guys were graduated, and it just wasn't the cool graduation that you expected. It was just disappointing. And what you were left with was not hope, but uh, disappointment, you know. That's kind of where the people of Israel found themselves years ago. And Isaiah actually wanted to raise their confidence by raising their hope. Man, God's not, we've done some bad things, but God's still involved. And he's waiting for us to turn. And he's got so much for us. If we can just hold on, you know. That's one of the biggest things for us, I think, as believers. If When we have a confidence that God's got good things for us, it's motivation. Man, just to, to, to pray and to study and to, and to obey and to work hard to fight for our relationship with God because there's something on the other side of it, you know? And when we feel like, man, nothing I do works. doesn't matter what I do. I'm just going to be disappointed. We just run out of gas. I'm that way with the gym right now. Anybody else there? You know, just like, you know, I just can't get there consistently. I'm working so much. It's just been crazy. And I just, no energy to get to the gym, which is not good. Luckily, I got a job where I kind of have to move a lot. But what did Isaiah say to the people? This is what he said, and there's so much here we can't unpack it all, but the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. You ever walk in darkness? I got lost in my own basement once when I was a kid. Because, you know, basement, my basement was pitch black, okay? And I would turn the light on, go downstairs to my room, turn the light on, then I had to go all the way back upstairs and then turn the light off and then go back down to my room. And in my brilliant... 14-year-old mind, I thought, you know, I'm just going to not turn that light on, and I'm just going to go through the dark down to my room so I don't have to go all the way back up the stairs again, okay? So I turned the, I turned the light, the light, I left the light off, and it's pitch black, and I got about halfway down to my room, and I'm kind of doing this, and I didn't know where I was. Somehow I ended up in the laundry room. I knew it was the laundry room. You ever, you ever be in the dark and you feel cobwebs? Not a good experience. And I'm all over the house feeling, and, and I finally said, this is crazy. So I just followed the walls all the way back around. I went up the steps. I turned the light on. I went down to my room. I turned the light on. I went up the stairs. I turned the light off, and then I went back down to my room. Never again did I try to wander in the darkness. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. In the short term, he was saying to the people, hey, it looks like a dark season right now, but I tell you, God's going to show up in light. For the future, he was saying, uh, man, the Messiah is going to show up in the land of Galilee. That would have been a little shocking. Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, Ali, you did a good job pronouncing those names. Uh, they were the two tribes of Israel that inhabited Galilee in that region. The region was known as the good-for-nothing region uh, because Solomon gave these cities to Lebanon for all the wood for his palaces, and uh, the king of Lebanon said to him, what are these, brother? These cities are good for nothing. It's stuck. When Jesus uh, was showing up on the scene, I think Andrew went to, I think it was Nathaniel, and he says, we found the Messiah. Uh, and Nathaniel said, well, where did you find him? Well, he came out of Galilee. <laughs> and Nathaniel said, 
Can anything good come out of Galilee? It had that reputation, you know. It was like Oklahoma. Um, no, I'm just teasing for those of you from Oklahoma. But that, that was, it was not the expected place. People didn't say, oh, yeah, Galilee. I knew that's where it was going to happen. No one said that, you know. It's like, what, Galilee? Uh, and Isaiah wrote this with prophetic certainty. He said, man, a, a light is going to come in this, in this region. It was the most brutalized, despised, burned-out zone in the entire country. But they were going to be surprised by the glory of God, you know. That's why I always have hope for neighborhoods that are struggling because it's those kind of places where you don't expect revival and reform to break out that God shows up. That's why I get excited in those places. Um, Isaiah was saying, man, the mercy of God is so big, even bigger than your sins and mistakes, and I'm gonna come where it's most needed and it's dark and, and God's gonna show up in light and it's gonna be amazing. Now, I believe that word was for then, it was for later, and it was for much later, okay? He was saying the Assyrians are going to come to destroy our country. And you know what happened? This is our first angel sighting. We need to have a little bell. Ding, 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 angel sighting. Um, when, when the Assyrians came, the most mighty army in the world, uh, Jerusalem was depleted. Man, they were in bad shape. An angel literally went out, one angel, went out and wiped out the Assyrian army. I mean, just wiped them out. The people got up the next morning, the whole army's dead. One angel. Had to be pretty terrifying. I don't think angels look like little cherubs with wings and rosy cheeks and wearing blue and pink. I don't think that's what they look like. This guy, he wiped out the whole army. And Israel became world famous because they were the only nation who could destroy the most brutal army on earth. And they did nothing. It was an angel of God went out and did this. He said, a light is coming. Uh, for later, he said that it would be later, there'd be a dark time in the land. When Jesus came, uh, they were under Roman rule and occupation. They were oppressed by the Herods. You don't talk about the Herods much. The Herods were these dictators that just killed hundreds and hundreds of people in that region. It was horrible. Uh, it was, again, a despised part of the country, and many had given up hope, and things looked dark, but Jesus came, the baby was born. He didn't come like they thought he was gonna come, but he, he didn't come where they thought he was gonna come. He showed up in Galilee. You know, the Lord Jesus didn't make Jerusalem his headquarters. It was Galilee. That was where he operated from. It was the center of his ministry. And he was the great light that showed up. God came and got involved. And that's what we long for. Mary and I were talking this week. Why does God love to show up in dark times, in dark places? We were just kind of talking about this a little bit. Mary said, I think, I think it highlights his light. I'm thinking, you know, that makes sense to me. You know, Christmas lights, you know, Wichita's all decked out with Christmas lights right now. Turn them on during the day, eh. But when the sun goes down and it gets dark, Man, those lights just, just penetrate the night, and you can see them. And I think the glory of God just shows up against that dark background, and it's amazing. One thing I know about the Lord Jesus, he likes to show up in dark times and dark places. When almost all hope is gone, 
and it's looking bad, he shows up just in time, doesn't he? Now, many of us have experienced this. You know, we, we had time to tell stories. I'm sure you had, have had times in your life when things were dark, and man, God showed up one way or the other and changed everything. I was uh, experiencing a dark time in my life years ago when I was working a job uh, for, for Mary's uncle. I was running a screen printing business for him. We had moved up to Louisville, Kentucky from Chattanooga, and I'm running this business. I didn't know what I was doing, and it was hard. We were scraping by, and then one day, he just sold it to a guy I didn't know. And I had invested a lot of myself into this, and he had promised me some portion of the business. And this guy who bought it was a good guy, but he didn't want to give me what the agreement had been, and he tried to push me out. So for a year, I'm, I'm dealing with this, and it was really, really hard. And Mary said I was not fun to be around that year. Hard to believe, isn't it? Said, you need to go back to work. Just not, don't come home. <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was a tough time. And at the same time I'm going through this, man, the Lord showed up in my life. And I'm getting just baptized in God's spirit. And God is just moving. He's changing everything. But it was in the middle of this dark time. And it was tough. I mean, life-changing encounters with the Lord. And eventually I went to the guy and said, hey, you obviously don't want me here. What can we do? And I got a settlement. And later I started my business. And I was making three times as much money as I was working for this guy. God knew what he was doing. But man, in the middle of it, it was, it was dark and I couldn't see the way out. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? This is bad, you know? Our church was at a dark time when we were at his helping hands for so many years. And it looked like, I don't know if this is going to go or not. What are we going to do? And God brought us here. And, and I know you've got stories, too, of times when things were dark. Man, God showed up, and he rescued you. And that's just what he did. And Isaiah is trying to point to the people and say, this is what God does. It looks dark. I mean, there are many people that loved the Lord and were obeying at that time, and he was trying to encourage them that, man, hold on. I'll have hope that good things are coming. And have something to hold on to. Now, I love that word hope. The word hope in the Hebrew is tikvah, tikvah, and it literally means a rope. It means a rope. When the Israelites went into the promised land and they, they were conquering Jericho, they sent spies into the land first, and there was a, a prostitute named Rahab that hid them and protected them, and they said, when we come back and conquer the city, why don't you let this this red rope down from your window, and we'll see that, and no one will harm you. And that rope was called a tikvah, and that word just came to be known as hope. And I love that because hope is something that we have to grab hold of, don't we? We have to hold on to hope at different times in our life and remember that good things are coming, and it's, it's powerful. And when you get a prophetic word, prophetic words are powerful, they're powerful. This, this word from Isaiah, it, it's, it's not just a word. When you say something that God wants you to say to bring some truth to a situation under the leading of the Holy Spirit, and God can use all of us to do that. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about getting mad at people. I'm just saying there needs to be something said, and the Lord just puts it in you, and you say it, and it's just right for the moment of what God's doing. It contains energy. And power to change things. When you say, that, you've been in a room and there's this confusion and someone says, boom, 
He just says, or she says what needs to be said, and the like, light goes on, you know? Uh, that's what it's like. And I believe that real prophetic words, you know, it's different now. You know, before we had, there was one anointed guy who would kind of give that message. Now, every believer is a minister, and God can use all of us to give prophetic words. And we grow in that, of course, but God comes in the middle of that, and he does powerful things. And uh, he was the prophetic word, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, God gave me, I think, a word for next year. And you know, we're, we're the vineyard, and I always want to say it. You know, I don't, we don't do thus saith the Lord. You know, we've had people like that, thus saith the Lord. You know, we need to, it's usually followed by a bad message, you know, when we say thus saith the Lord. So, uh, but I, we're like, kind of like, I, I think this is the Lord. It, it could just be me, but, you know, I've, I've done this enough to where I kind of know, and I'm not as hesitant as I used to be. But I feel like the Lord gave me a word for 2021 for us. And it's basically, I felt like the Lord said to me, uh, Greg, I'm going to put meat on the bones in 2021. And that's not words I normally use. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's kind of cool. So I've been getting excited about it. I don't know, I don't know everything it means. I kind of have some ideas, but I'm kind of praying about it because when God gives you a word, you just talk to him about it and you pray about it. And, and I'm getting excited. It gives me something to hold on to. That God, you got a plan because it feels like this year just kind of, you know, just feel like it's just so. And God's working; I know He's working, but you know what it feels like sometimes is like, man, is there anything good coming out of this year? And the Lord gave me something to hold on to for next year, and I'm excited. Um, but Isaiah's word, real quick, I just want to re- reiterate this: His word um, was for then, for the people, the Assyrians are coming, but it was also for the coming of the Lord Jesus, and it was also coming for Jesus' second coming, his return. That's going to be awesome. The first coming was to proclaim and initiate God's kingdom on earth. The second, he's coming back to bring justice and mercy and the fullness of everything that he's promised is going to come in that time. And I want to tell you guys, we need to get our hope up. We need to get excited about the coming of the Lord Jesus because it's hard for us because our lifestyle, we have it so good. You know, I don't think there's anybody here going hungry. You know, our needs are met. We got Netflix. You know, we got stuff, you know. And we can get so caught up in the things that we have, and it's like, ah, oh, this is enough. I want to tell you, God's got more. There's more coming. It's better than anything we're experiencing right now. It's going to be a level of relationship with the Lord that, that we've never experienced before, and it's gonna, bring, it's gonna be his rule and his reign and our participation at a higher level. It's gonna be amazing, and the peace that's gonna come is gonna be incredible. So I wanna kinda tie this out by dealing with one thing that Isaiah said. Isaiah gave some people some information to help them hold on to hope. He actually uh, described the coming Messiah in, in four four or five names or attributes. Now, there's over 250 names that God uses for himself from Genesis to Revelation. Isn't that crazy? 250 descriptors of who he is. But Isaiah puts us together in like four or five ideas and pictures that's not used anywhere else in the Bible. He just kind of drops them on him and says, let me tell you what this Messiah is going to be like as they looked ahead and we look back. He said this, he said, his name will be called Wonderful, uh, 
Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or a peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Because the, the kingdom there was really bad and negative and uh, they were being, people were being oppressed. So it said his kingdom is going to be awesome to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And he said, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Now, this is how the Lord Jesus showed up and how he also shows up in our lives and how he's gonna really show up when he comes back. Wonderful. Um, I've got up here... um, one who fills his people with wonder and awe. And I love this. He's wonderful. This is a word that this describes God. It describes his deity. He is, he is wonderful. Uh, wonderful never is used in the Bible to describe a man, just a, a human man. Uh, it always describes God and what he's done. And you know, one thing about the Lord Jesus that I love when he comes, he comes and he blows us away by how awesome he is and how he does things in our life with style. Times when God has rescued me, he comes in with style and power, and I sit back like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. This is awesome the way he does things. He is wonderful. His, his goal is to fill you, so when you see him, you're like, whoa. Man, he is incredible, and how he does things is great. And he uses the word counselor, you know, which kind of speaks of his humanity. Uh, the one who possesses wisdom to restore us and to restore nations. I want to tell you, Jesus is the leader we need right now on a national level. We've talked about this a little bit. You know, I hear about fixing America, healing America. There's going to be no fixing America without Jesus. There's going to be no healing America without Jesus. There is such division in our country over so many things. He's the one who can do it. He wants to restore nations. He wants to restore families. That's who he is. And he comes. He's got the perfect counsel and the right ideas. Um, In our personal lives, I think a lot of people are like confused about things. They're confused about politics. They're confused about what does God want from me right now? What is God doing right now? What do we need to be doing right now? There's this confusion with a lot of people. And he comes, and he just breaks through the confusion, and with a word, he, he gets right to the heart of, of what's on his heart, and that's what we want. Isaiah said when he comes, he's going to be mighty God, a worthy defender who shelters me from conflict. Uh, mighty God was El Gabor. It actually literally meant hero God or um, warrior God. He should have his own Netflix show. Hero God, you know, you can watch that, El Gibor. I don't know if people would watch that or not. But he's talking about Midian in this prophecy. Now, the story of Midian is interesting. Midian was this nation that Israel knew from their history that when, in the time of the judges, when Israel was not following the Lord, Midian would swoop down during harvest and just take everything. They would steal all their cream cheese out of the fridge, all the, you know, all the bread. They would take all the produce. They would just came and they just took everything and just wiped and left with nothing, you know. Kind of like the Grinch, you know, nothing left but some hooks and some wire. You know, that's how, that's how it was. And, and they came without number. And finally, God raised up a guy named Gideon. And, and Gideon, uh, the angel appears to him, ding, 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 second angel sighting, appears to Gideon and says, uh, 
Oh, hail mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who, who are you talking about? You know? He says, no, God's going to raise you up to deliver the people from Midian. And he, and he gathered all the people, and God said, it's too many. It's too many, because the zeal of the Lord of heaven's army is going to accomplish this. So he whittled the army down to 300 people against an army that was more than they could count, hundreds of thousands. And the 300 went out and proclaimed the sword of Gideon and of the Lord, and the, the enemy army was routed, and they won a great victory. And this is another way of the Lord of how he does things. God changed the world with 12 guys who followed him and obeyed, the 12 disciples. You know, as a, as a church today, with everything going on around us in our country and the craziness, it's easy to feel small and feel powerless, but the church is God's hope for the world, I believe, and God's gonna use us to make a mighty difference, just like he used the 12 disciples and he used Gideon to raise up 300 guys to defeat hundreds of thousands. That's how the Lord does it. The Lord loves to use small groups to accomplish amazing things because he is the mighty God. It's not our brilliance, our scholarliness, our great strategy. It's the power of God at work, and it's awesome. Isaiah said he's going to be everlasting father, a watchful father who showers me with compassion. He's not high or aloof or just out there on his own. I mean, he comes, he gets close, he gets involved. I mean, the Lord Jesus, his message was the kingdom's at hand. It's close. What God is doing is right there. And, you know, he showed up as a child to show vulnerability. He showed up as a human to relate to us. He showed up with mercy and compassion to show us the Father's heart. And he showed up with tenderness to show us that he understands. He is a good dad. He is a father. He comes just to show us that he is not too busy, he is paying attention, and he is involved. And finally he said that this Messiah that was coming would be the Prince of Peace, a wonderful comforter who soothes my conscience. You know, it's amazing, in times of darkness, in times of confusion, in times of COVID, in, in times of division, you know where the battle is a lot of times? It's, it's in here. <laughs> it's in here. You know? Sometimes I struggle with more self-doubt and have to battle through that. I don't know if you're the same way or not. I just like question myself and I'm, and I'm just feeling like, oh, you know, what, what's right? What, what do I need to do? You know? And, 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 it's, and, I, and I go through times in my life and I'm a lot better at this than I used to be, but times when just every stupid decision I've made and there's a lot of them just kind of show up in my head all at once. <laughs> I'm like, it's agonizing. I'm like, man, I just messed up so many times. And this Prince of Peace, one of the things that God wants to do is just come and bring peace to me, <laughs> you know? Peace to my heart, peace to my conscience. That God says, man, the Lord, this Messiah who came, he died for you and he paid for everything you've done wrong and, and are gonna do. <laughs> and, and, I, and I reconciled you when you said yes to me. And there's peace between us. You don't have to wake up every day, how does God feel about me today? Man, is he mad at me? Man, I screwed up really bad this week. You know, is he disappointed in me? Is he just like, ah, I've had enough of you? You know, is that, is that where he's at? No, he loves you. 
If God can come to the people of Israel who are burning their kids in the fire and say, if you'll just turn back to me, I will redeem you and rescue you. Man, he, he, he can do that with us. <laughs> you know, he can do that with us. There's times you want to burn your kids in the fire, but I'm not talking about that. But Isaiah called him Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, who makes peace. And then he, he goes on to say this, and I'm going to wrap this up. And he brings a government. <laughs> and the government will be on his shoulders. And he talks, when God comes, you know, we separate things. You know, we got the religious stuff, we got political stuff, we got social stuff. Now it's just all jumbled together, isn't it? I mean, it's just hard to divide what's political out of what's religious or what's social. I mean, it all just kind of comes together. And when, when Jesus comes in his second coming, remember, it's two mountains. Isaiah saw it all coming at once, but really was coming in two phases. When, when Jesus comes back, he's bringing his government. It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. It's not Libertarian. Sorry, Matt. It's Jesus' government, you know? And there's going to be no oppression, no cheating, no lying, no, no garbage that we see all over the place. It's going to be amazing, and it's going to fill the planet, and we're going to get to be part of it, and it's going to be awesome, you know? Um, you know, really, when Jesus came the first time, it was a down payment. He introduced the kingdom. He said, man, this is what's possible. I'm going to start working through you. You're going to start seeing the kingdom start to show up. But I want you to know when he comes back, it's going to come in fullness. It's going to come in completion. And it's going to be like we're going to be blown away by the goodness of God and all the awesome things that he is and he's doing. So we look forward to that day. And we say, Maranatha. Let that be your Christmas greeting this year. (laughs) Not Merry Christmas, Maranatha. Maranatha. And people are like, what does that mean? That means come quickly, Lord Jesus. We get so bent out of shape about Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, and I get it. But let's, let's add a new one. Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is our Christmas message. Now, for, for you today, um, do you feel like we're in a dark time? Do you feel like you're in a dark time and things are just hard? Are you facing some difficulties or struggles Is there a war in here and in here? Or do you feel the war that's going on? Let me give you some hope today. Man, as we, you know, we always have to talk about stuff. But as we lean into the Lord Jesus, I want you to know good things are coming. It can be easy, depending on your political views or your social views or whatever, to wonder what's around the corner. COVID has been a weird deal, hasn't it? And I know it can, it can be, a lot of people are just in turmoil right now over a lot of different things. I want you to know that things can get tough, but good things are coming if you know Jesus. He's bringing his government. The kingdom is here and it's coming in its fullness. And as a church, we might have some tough days, but we're going to have some glorious days. As believers, we might, you might have some tough days, but I want to tell you there's some glory coming things we have been praying for and the church has been hoping for for years are going to be showing up. And it's going to be a blast. It's going to be that combination of hard <laughs> and amazing all at once. But a light is going to shine and he's going to use us and it's going to be great. 
So today, if you're, just, if you're feeling some darkness and you just need some hope, we'd love to pray for you today. I know we all get, you know, I have days where I wake up and I'm ready to conquer the world, and I have days where I just don't even want to crawl out of bed. You probably have those days too. And we have seasons like that. But if you're in a season where, man, it's just a little tough right now. It's a little tough. Man, the Lord has some ministry for you today. And uh, the worship team is going to come up, and we're just going to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus, and we're going to worship him, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say, Holy Spirit, come. And we're just going to let him bring a little ministry to us right now. We've got a few minutes to do that, I think. Is that cool, Will, for us to do that?